We always enjoy the chance to speak with Steve Wood. You may be familiar with Steve. We broadcast him every week here on Covenant Network with Faith and Family Radio. And Steve, it's good to talk to you today. Good to talk with you, Adam, and I'm glad to be back with your listeners again. I understand that for our next series of conversations here, you have seven questions for us about worldview and and how we look at the world. You know, it, it never fails to amaze me how you can ask seven different people what's going on in the world, and they'll give you seven different answers about the exact same thing. And uh, we know that there is objective truth, so we need to look at this from the, the standpoint of our Catholic faith. But I'm ready to just kind of turn it over to you and say, what are these questions that we should be asking ourselves? And more importantly, how do we answer them? Well, let me even get to a question behind my worldview questions. And this is, if a, there's any parents or grandparents or youth leaders listening, to me, this is the question of our decade. How do we prevent this washout when you're talking about the majority of youth are just quitting their faith. And it relates to worldview, and we can't simply do what we're doing and expect a different result. Um, And if I can tell a short story from C.S. Lewis, he heard people in England were complaining that the modern world was becoming like paganism. And Lewis raised some eyebrows when he said, oh, would that they were pagans. And what he meant was that pagans had a worldview, and it was, they had certain things were right and wrong. Now, it may have been the wrong things, but at least they had a worldview. And what Lewis was trying to say, would that we could make them good pagans, and then we could make them Christians. We're trying to make Christians without giving them a worldview. To me, this is a missing puzzle in youth ministry and childhood spiritual formation. I'm just going to raise some eyebrows here. The Knights of Columbus survey of Catholic millennials, that's the 18 to 29-year-olds, 63% of Catholic millennials think same-sex marriage is fine, uh, and that sex between unmarried people, about 80% think that's fine. Now, what happens is that if you teach Christian morality to young people without a Christian worldview, they look at the morality, it's like wearing a pair of glasses, but the lenses are non-Christian lenses, and so they just don't get it. But here's, to me, the most dramatic turnaround, potentially, you could have in youth ministry, and this is from George Barna, and the differences that a worldview makes. I just mentioned that sex between unmarried is okay, 80%. Yet, if you have a Christian worldview, the views of acceptable moral behavior regarding cohabitation becomes 31 times less if they have a worldview. There isn't a chastity seminar, speaker, book, or CD, or any program that can do this. 31-time reduction in actual behavior, Uh, young people are three times less to get drunk, two times less to view porn, and it's simply teaching a worldview, but we're assuming that they have one, but that parents, you grew up a generation ago, obviously, and you assume your teenager 
thinks and views the world like you do. And yet, if they have a secular worldview that they basically uh, adopted through media, social media, TV, friends, whatever, uh, there's a book called The Universe Next Door, that you could have a teenager living in your home, and yet, regarding their views of all things, including truth and behavior and morality, could be a universal way. And that explains why some people just scratch your head. I just don't get, I just don't get this. Well, it's worldview. And so a lot of experts make this one of the most complicated subjects imaginable. And if you make it too complicated and make it a 500-page book on philosophy, people aren't going to get it. And I tried to take worldview and boil it down and got it down to seven questions. And if you could teach yourself and your children the answers to these seven questions, you've got it. You've got a Christian worldview. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. The first three questions I'm grouping into the uh, who am I type of question. Question number one, where do I come from? In other words, what's, what's my origin? Question number two, where am I going? And particularly, what happens after I die? And number three, why am I here? What's my purpose and meaning in my life? The next two questions, questions four and five, are how do I know type of question. And number four is what is truth? Number five, how do I know right from wrong? In other words, where's my compass for moral decision-making? Finally, there's redemption questions. And number six is what's wrong with the world and what's the solution? And number seven, what's really happening in our world? And those seven questions are basically the gist of what a worldview is, if you can answer those. A worldview, for so many, is something just very unconscious, and it's yet something that shapes uh, your thoughts, your views on all different types of things. And the good news for parents is that worldview is often caught much more effectively than just taught. Now, I'm not saying you don't want to teach verbally worldview, but as you begin to live it, like there's a moral order to the universe, and children begin to grasp this before they begin school. And now they're graduating from even religious high schools and colleges, and they don't get this, and they're living that life of a universe next door rather than a Christian life. Well, Steve, you know, I'm doing some quick math in my head here as we, we talk about why this is important. And you said, you know, just to go back to some of those numbers, 80% think that impermissible things are permissible. But when you give them the Christian worldview, when we un- explain why we look at it the way we do and, and why we believe what we believe, a 31-time reduction, if I did the math right, takes us down from about 80% 
to about 2% approving of things that are immoral. And so the stakes are pretty high on this one, and I'm glad we're going to be talking about it. Unfortunately, we're out of time today, but friends, fear not, because we're going to be joined by Steve Wood several times in the coming weeks to look at these seven questions on how to convey worldview and why it's essential for the formation of our youth and, dare I say, for ourselves. Uh, Until next time, Steve, I can't wait to uh, dive into these questions. Okay, well, I'll be glad to join with you and your listeners again. Thanks, Adam. A most commendable indulgenced prayer to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, shower copiously thy blessings on thy holy church, on the Supreme Pontiff, and on all the clergy. Grant perseverance to the just, convert sinners, enlighten infidels, bless our parents, friends, and benefactors, assist the dying, liberate the souls of purgatory, and extend over all hearts the sweet empire of thy love. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, most kind, bless us now and in death's agony. From a sudden and unprovided death, deliver us, O Lord. Well, last time we were joined by Steve Wood, we were talking about why it is so important to convey a Catholic worldview to our youth and how it helps in their formation. And Steve, I love the analogy you used. It's like putting on glasses with the wrong lenses. It doesn't do us any good to have the wrong lenses in our glasses. And rather than go one or two or three or four, you actually have seven things for us to consider today as we uh, form our worldview. And we're going to be looking at these over several segments together. Uh, So number one, Great to have you back with us. And number two, what questions are we going to tackle today? Well, let's start with the first one. Is The first question is, where do I come from? That's what's my origin. Question two is, where am I going? What happens after I die? Because this life isn't the end of our existence. And number three, why am I here? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? Now, we're not going to get through all these three, but this this is where it begins. You know, just a very interesting tidbit here. George Barna, who's the famous pollster, I don't know if you were, Barna Research is no longer led by him. He retired and sold Barna Research. He's now involved in an evangelical university out west that has its very central, specific purpose to teach worldview. He came through his polling to see that moral behavior of youth is more influenced by worldview than by Christian doctrinal beliefs. Now, you know me. (laughs) I'm not saying don't teach doctrine to our kids. I think they need more of it. But if they don't have the worldview as that foundation, or as we mentioned, the, the lenses that they're looking through, the doctrinal instruction, the moral instruction is not going to work. They have to have the correct lenses. They're viewing everything through certain lenses. So um, the first question is, where do I come from? And this one is actually going to be, what shall I say? I'm going to advocate a little different way to approach this, because it's absolutely foundational for a worldview, this first question. In other words, what's my origin? And specifically, in the modern world, there's two options. I came here as a result of random chance, that's Darwinian evolution, or I'm a special creation of God. And 
one of those two. Now, back in, I don't know when it began, because I wasn't, I wasn't Catholic back then, but I would say in the 50s, early 60s, it became very popular for Catholics in an attempt to deal with the whole origins debate to simply say there's no conflict between faith and science. And that is true. There's no conflict between faith and genuine science. But they just said that theistic evolution, in other words, God was involved in evolution. And really what has happened, and, and I've seen this my own children who've gone to some of the top Catholic colleges and universities and such, theistic evolution is simply evolution with an adjective on front of it. And young people today aren't buying it. That's just the bottom line. If you're depending on just saying there's no conflict and it's theistic evolution, it just boils down to evolution, which is random chance, and there's no design. If there's an intentional design to the way I'm made, then you take that as your your clue, your, your pair of lenses, and you see that there's a purpose for this. There's a design to my individual life, the design the way I'm made. There's a design the way we're supposed to function in the world so that we don't run against our design and hurt ourselves. And again, I strongly suggest for parents to look seriously into the intelligent design movement. And there's a lot of just tremendous resources uh, they can get to help them answer questions regarding how they got here. There's a website called the Discovery Institute, and they have intelligent design resources for parents. It's a free PDF. Then there's another man by the name of Douglas Axe, A-X-E, and he has a bunch of YouTubes. His whole thing is intuition. Like if you're walking through the woods and admiring everything, and then all of a sudden you look down and you see a Apple Watch that somebody dropped. Well, you would pick that up and look at it, and you would think, no, this just didn't happen. Somebody actually designed this. And in other words, you use your intuition to see that, you know, very complicated systems and everything just don't pop up. They had to be designed. And who was the designer and using that to work your way back to God? And anybody who is uh, a parent of a high school senior or a college student, I can't recommend highly enough Stephen Meyer. Very intelligent guy, but he's young and can get across very accurately to young people about why God created the world from a very scientific viewpoint. So you can get Stephen Meyer's DVD series. Um, it's still streamed. Uh, order some pizzas, bring your friends in, and I think it's about six sessions in that, 30-minute sessions, and I think it would make a world of difference that young people could see, you know, I'm just not a product of chance, but a very specific design. I have a creator, and obviously to thrive, I want to live in the way that he made me. And also it gets back to those hard apologetics questions, because really what's on the minds of young people are what's called today cultural apologetics. They, they're into cultural apologetics. That's where their war is. 
and knowing where they came from in a very scientific manner, intelligent design, will give them both answers to their apologetics questions, and it will give them the foundation to answer their friends and beginning the first step in a worldview. I think this is a great question to start with. Where do I come from? And looking at this from the, what you've proposed today, Steve, is absolutely essential that, you know, especially when we think about this, we're created for a purpose. And God has something very specific behind that. Uh, so asking, where did I come from, really is going to help us with the next question we're going to address when, when we get together next time. And that's, where am I going uh, so, Steve Wood, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today to talk about this very important question, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Adam, and I look forward to being with you and your listeners in the future. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. O oh, my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. O oh, grant that I may love thee more. O oh, love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. The last time Steve Wood was with us, we started answering these questions to help us form a proper worldview, and more specifically, to help the youth of today form a proper worldview. It's absolutely essential. And we started with the question, where do I come from? It's an essential question so that we can also ask this next question, where am I going? And uh, Steve, as much as I'd like to think I could just pop on the GPS in my car and it's going to tell me where to go, I think God's got something different in mind for that. Well, it does. And, and again, we're trying to work through the basic questions that form the outlook on everything, like when information and questions about morality and everything else is presented to a, an adult or a young person, they view it in a Christian way. I'm going to tie together our first question, where did I come from, with our second question, where are we going? from a passage in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 282. Try to write that down if you're not driving. Section 282, and this is straight out of the Catechism. Quote, where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? The two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. And that last sentence, they are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. Another word for that is simply worldview. And so you're not just lost in the world. You have to have answers to these two questions. And just like to remind parents, that they found out that teaching worldview changes young people's views on morality and actually behaviors, their moral behaviors, more than teaching them Christian doctrine. It doesn't mean we're not going to teach them Christian doctrine, but that the priority and the missing link, so to speak, in the formation of young people are worldview questions, and if we have the answers to these, we're ready to go. Well, 
it's my experience and you know my background adam i was an evangelical pastor now a catholic lay person but both catholic and protestant circles there's a, a great fog about this second world view questions like where am i going and you know there's uh countless hymns about heavenly mansions um and kind of like this non-bodily existence of your soul, maybe playing a harp on a cloud. And I can remember uh, seeing a cartoon, I think it was in the New Yorker, it showed two guys kind of on the cloud with their harps and stuff, and one guy just lying down like he's very bored, and he goes, I wish I bought a magazine. And when we approach young people today with all the excitement, the opportunities, and the distractions and everything else, and say to them, well, we want you to deny yourself, maybe your peer group that might be going in the wrong way and all the enticements and allurements so you can go live on a cloud. I'm afraid that's just not going to work. Um, and that's not what the Scripture teaches. And prove me wrong. Ask your son or your daughter what they think eternal life will be like after the return of Christ. In other words, the eternal state after this period of human history is over, Christ returned. What will eternal life look like, and where will you be? And number one, you'll find that the majority of adults, adults, and youth attend church regularly. When they hear the word resurrection, they think the resurrection of the soul. But when we confess in the creed, it's the resurrection of the body, that the body that goes in the grave will come to life and be very much alive. In fact, it will be very much like Jesus's body. He rose from the dead bodily, and he built a fire on the beach and cooked fish, talked to his disciples, and told Thomas, put your hand in here. It was a, a new, renewed body fit for everlasting life, but it was a real body. That's a number one, that the body's going to have an eternal existence. And then the second question is, where will we be? And I dare say a lot of people think we're going to be up there, wherever up there is. Now, the catechism very carefully says, heaven is where Jesus is, Okay. Now, Jesus right now, I mean, his presence is everywhere, obviously, but, you know, specifically, he's enthroned in heaven. He is up there. But the second coming says he comes back, and you read the closing chapters of the Bible, there'll be a new heavens and new earth with Jesus Christ present on earth. In other words, heaven comes to earth, and heaven is on earth, and there's going to be streams and forests, and it'll be gorgeous, and there will be real people, extended families, there will be birds and trees and animals, except they won't eat each other. There's actually going to be a new heaven, a new earth with new bodies, living with Jesus Christ, living with your extended family, living without war, pain, sickness, death, and have abundance of food and fruits and joy and happiness forever. This is what humans were destined for, and this is kind of the, a part of the missing link for worldview. If young people can get this one, then it's like, 
oh, this life, then I really, really is a preparation for a life to come that I can't wait. It makes me think of one of my favorite retreat centers sitting in the rocking chair in the early morning, seeing the mist coming from the river and looking out over the trees, especially in the fall when the leaves are starting to turn. And you say, well, how could this get any better? Well, if our Lord was with us right there, I imagine it would be even more amazing and even better. And it's a great way, uh, it's a great reminder for us, Steve, to think about things as we are told they will be, um, not just what kindergarten Adam thought, that heaven is sitting on a cloud looking at the blue sky for all of eternity. So, I'm, you know, I have to admit, I'm a little jazzed up this morning. I really would like to get to heaven and experience that new heaven, that new earth with our Lord and with as many of our listeners as possible. But we have some work to do. We do. Let's get going with the new heavens and the new earth. Indeed. Well, Steve, this has been a great question to look at today. Where are we going? And the next one uh, we're going to look at when we reconvene is, why am I here? You know, as a father of small children, that's a question we get a lot. Why are we here? What are we doing here? What's going on here? And yet we ask it ourselves in our prayer, and we ask it of God all the time. So until next time, Steve, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Adam, and great to be with you and your listeners. Prayer for the Gift of Prudence. Jesus, artful master of parables, your prudence eluded the hypocrites. Your actions were known before creation, displaying all the wisdom of your prudence. Eternity must have attended to minutia. Being prudent in your best interest, you considered all potential consequences, securing the outcome of your earthly life. Grant me the prudence to always be cautious and sensitive to the basic needs of others. Jesus, You have shown great foresight. Prudence truly originates from your being. Amen. The last time Steve Wood was with us, we started answering these questions to help us form a proper worldview, and more specifically, to help the youth of today form a proper worldview. It's absolutely essential. And we started with the question, where do I come from? It's an essential question so that we can also ask this next question, where am I going? And uh, Steve, as much as I'd like to think I could just pop on the GPS in my car and it's going to tell me where to go, I think God's got something different in mind for that. Well, it does. And, and again, we're trying to work through the basic questions that form the outlook on everything, like when information and questions about morality and everything else is presented to a an adult or a young person, they view it in a Christian way. I'm going to tie together our first question, where did I come from, with our second question, where are we going, from a passage in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 282. Try to write that down if you're not driving. Section 282, and this is straight out of the Catechism. Quote, where do we come from? Where are we going? What is our origin? What is our end? The two questions, the first about the origin and the second about the end, are inseparable. They are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions. And that last sentence, they are decisive for the meaning and orientation of our life and actions, Another word for that is simply worldview. And so you're not just lost in the world, 
you have to have answers to these two questions. And just like to remind parents that they found out that teaching worldview changes young people's views on morality and actually behaviors, their moral behaviors, more than teaching them Christian doctrine. It doesn't mean we're not going to teach them Christian doctrine but that the priority and the missing link, so to speak, in the formation of young people are worldview questions, and if we have the answers to these, we're ready to go. Well, it's my experience, and, you know, my background, Adam, I was an evangelical pastor, now a Catholic layperson, but both Catholic and Protestant circles, there's a, a great fog about this second worldview questions, like, where am I going? And, you know, there's uh, countless hymns about heavenly mansions um, and kind of like this non-bodily existence of your soul, maybe playing a harp on a cloud. And I can remember uh, seeing a cartoon, I think it was in the New Yorker, it showed two guys kind of on the cloud with their harps and stuff, and one guy just lying down like he's very bored, and he goes, I wish I bought a magazine. And when we approach young people today with all the excitement, the opportunities and the distractions and everything else and say to them, well, we want you to deny yourself, maybe your peer group that might be going in a wrong way and all the enticements and allurements so you can go live on a cloud. I'm afraid that's just not going to work. Um, and that's not what the scripture teaches. And prove me wrong. Ask your son or your daughter what they think eternal life will be like after the return of Christ. In other words, the eternal state after this period of human history is over and Christ returns, what will eternal life look like, and where will you be? And number one, you'll find that the majority of adults, adults and youth attend church regularly when they hear the word resurrection, they think the resurrection of the soul. But when we confess in the creed, it's the resurrection of the body, that the body that goes in the grave will come to life and be very much alive. In fact, it will be very much like Jesus' body. He rose from the dead bodily, and he built a fire on the beach and cooked fish, talked to his disciples, and told Thomas, put your hand in the air. It was a, a new, renewed body, fit for everlasting life, but it was a real body. That's a number one, that the body's going to have an eternal existence. And then the second question is, where will we be? And I dare say a lot of people think we're going to be up there, wherever up there is. Now, the Catechism very carefully says, heaven is where Jesus is, okay? Now, Jesus right now, I mean, his presence is everywhere, obviously, but, you know, specifically, he's enthroned in heaven. He is up there. But the second coming says he comes back, and you read the closing chapters of the Bible, there'll be a new heavens and new earth with Jesus Christ present on earth. In other words, heaven comes to earth, and heaven is on earth, and there's going to be streams and forests, and it'll be gorgeous, and there will be real people, extended families, there will be birds and trees and animals, etc. 
except they won't eat each other. There's actually going to be a new heaven, a new earth with new bodies, living with Jesus Christ, living with your extended family, living without war, pain, sickness, death, and have abundance of food and fruits and joy and happiness forever. This is what humans were destined for, and this is kind of the, a part of the missing link for worldview. If young people can get this one, then it's like, oh, this life, then I really, really is a preparation for a life to come that I can't wait. It makes me think of one of my favorite retreat centers sitting in the rocking chair in the early morning, seeing the mist coming from the river and looking out over the trees, especially in the fall when the leaves are starting to turn. And you say, well, how could this get any better? Well, if our Lord was with us right there, I imagine it would be even more amazing and even better. And it's a great way, uh, it's a great reminder for us, Steve, to think about things as we are told they will be, um, not just what kindergarten Adam thought, that heaven is sitting on a cloud looking at the blue sky for all of eternity. So, I'm, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm a little jazzed up this morning. I really would like to get to heaven and experience that new heaven, that new earth with our Lord and with as many of our listeners as possible. But we have some work to do. We do. Let's get going with the new heavens and the new earth. Indeed. Well, Steve, this has been a great question to look at today. Where are we going? And the next one uh, we're going to look at when we reconvene is, why am I here? You know, as a father of small children, that's a question we get a lot. Why are we here? What are we doing here? What's going on here? And yet we ask it ourselves in our prayer, and we ask it of God all the time. So until next time, Steve, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Adam, and great to be with you and your listeners. A Prayer to Redeem Lost Time by St. Teresa of Avila O my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. I've really been enjoying our recent conversations with Steve Wood. You may be familiar with Steve. We play his show every week here on Covenant Network. And we've been talking about seven questions that help us form a worldview, a worldview that we need to share with our children, with our youth, with our young adults, so that we can, you know, just help them strive for that life of holiness. And the first one we talked about was where do I come from? And then closely tied to that is where are we going? Uh, but Steve, I, I can't help but think if, if we know where we come from, and, and, and I, I remember that principle, exitus reditus, that it comes from God and it goes back to God, right? If we come mm-hmm. from God and we're going back to God, well, what on earth are we doing here on earth? Why, why are we here? Why couldn't he have just kept us with him from the get-go? Uh, so, Steve, it, it's a little existential for Morning Drive, but let's talk about it. Why am I here? <laughs> Why am I here? The meaning and purpose of life. Um, I'd like to tell you about two, I regard, very important polls. And this was several years ago. But USA Today did a national survey, and this was of adults. This isn't just for young people. And they said this, what if you could ask God a question, 
and get a direct and immediate answer, what would you ask him? And by far, the number one question that Americans, what is my purpose here, was what people would want to know. This is the number one question if people could ask God. Another poll, and this one is really important for a parent of a teen or a youth leader, but there was one theme that went right through the, uh, the teens as the number one need and interest and question, and that was life purpose. So what's my meaning and purpose here? And we started with the two questions, where do I come from, where do I going? But part of what we're supposed to be doing here, according to the Catholic Catechism, it says, and right in the beginning, section one, so you don't have to get too far into the Catechism to get this, the life of man is to know and to love God. And you read the first paragraph, you're called to know and to love God, and then the third paragraph, we are urged on by the love of Christ to proclaim the good news everywhere in the world. Now, somebody might say, oh boy, that's really a call for priests and deacons, but it's everybody. So this is a crucial role of the family to pass on the love of God. And since I'm talking with you, Adam, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but they would say, well, how in the world can I, you know, help pass on the love of Christ to the whole world? Well, send a check to your Catholic radio stations. I think it's the most effective tool in the United States of America for sharing Christ's love. In other words, we use our lives to let others in a manifold means to know the love of Christ. But very specifically, I have discovered a way that is utterly amazing, utterly amazing to find God placing his will in your life. Believe me, this works. And a lot of times we're looking for God to kind of do very dramatic things and such, but at the heart of the New Covenant, it says, for instance, the prophet Jeremiah was prophesying that God would bring a new covenant. But what's different about the new covenant, he says, I will write my law upon your hearts. In other words, God's a gentleman. In the new covenant, he's not going to come in with a bulldozer. He's going to come in very gently with the Holy Spirit and impress upon your heart what his will is. And in addition, he's going to give you a desire to do that. So your purpose as a Christian is to do his will, and then also to work for that. In other words, he'll give you the strength, the inspiration, and the power to accomplish it. You're not on your own here. So, again, God's the gentleman. He needs to be invited. So I have come up with a 60-second prayer. I have actually tried in quite a number of Catholic conferences to astonishing results. And it's basically, it doesn't really make too much difference what the exact words are. It's the intent. And I'm going to start with a 60-second prayer for life guidance. And this is how it would go. And if anybody's listening to us right now, Adam, pray it. And if you're by yourself, don't 
be embarrassed, pray it out loud with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Dear Father, I ask you to place your will and your desires for my life within my heart. I ask you to conform my will and my desires to yours. Amen. Let's take that if you're um, trying to figure out what to do in college or where to go to college or what career to choose, you're a young person. Again, this is for college and career guidance. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Dear Father, there are many choices I need to make regarding my future. I invite you to place within my heart your will and your desires for my life and future. Please make my heart willing to joyfully choose to do your will. And if you're a young person listening or parent of a young person, um, I think we should all consider a religious vocation. Not everyone is called to one, but here would be an adaptation of a 60-second prayer for a religious vocation. Gracious Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Dear Father, if you have a wish for me to become a priest or a religious sister, please put that desire within my heart and make my heart willing to joyfully choose your will. Amen. And Adam, that's my 60-second recommendation for finding your life purpose. Very specific, and you can adapt that. Say you have a job promotion and two potential jobs to choose from, or moving your family, or deciding if you're a single person, whom to marry, and anything like this, just asking God to put his will in your heart. It's the most exciting journey in life you can ever embark on. A little pro tip for, you know, and, and I sometimes hate using that language, pro tip. This is just basic uh, prayer for us. But Eucharistic adoration, if, if you want to pray these prayers Steve's just given us and, and you want to be in a great place to hear the answer, Eucharistic adoration is so important. Uh, Steve, I was at a conference recently and Bishop James Conley from Lincoln, Nebraska was sharing that on 99% of the seminary applications he receives, or maybe it was 9 out of 10, uh, 9 out of 10 say that they heard that call and that call was affirmed in Eucharistic adoration. And I, I'm, I'm willing to dare to say it's not limited to vocations to the priesthood, that if we spend that time with our Lord, we will hear that answer to the question, Lord, why am I here? How do I do your will? This has been a wonderful question to address today, Steve, and I'm really looking forward to where we go from here in our seven questions on forming worldview for youth and young adults. Thank you, Adam. Look forward to being with you again. A prayer for priests. Oh, my God, help those priests who are faithful to remain faithful. To those who are falling, stretch forth your divine hand that they may grasp it as their support. In the great ocean of your mercy, lift those poor unfortunate ones who have fallen, that being engulfed therein, they may receive the grace to return to your great loving heart. Amen. 
precious blood of Jesus, protect them. We are continuing a conversation we recently had with Steve Wood about truth, and let's dive right back in. We know that our Lord is the truth, and uh, yes. some things are explicitly spelled out for us. We have the Ten Commandments, and if that's even too much for us, he makes it pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. But when we get into trying to answer, uh, well, is this loving my neighbor? You know, especially with some of the questions that are posed to us in, in this year, 2023, uh, you know, we're, we're often accused of being intolerant and unloving as we try to do right, but uh, where it's not explicitly spelled out for us, Steve, how do we know right from wrong? Well, this is probably of the questions we've addressed so far. I mean, this is this is just so critical because you can put a Christian young person through a chastity program or lecture or catechesis and whatnot. But if they don't have a sense of absolute right and wrong, whatever they hear is going to be adapted uh, to a cultural setting or a personal setting or such. Um, This is from the book Generation Next, that they found that Christian youth who lack moral absolutes, and a moral absolute is simply that something is right or wrong in all situations for all people, at all times, okay? Doesn't change. But a Christian youth who lacks moral absolutes are four times more likely to approve of premarital intercourse as a moral choice. And Barna followed up, and it was a shocking discovery for him, that a youth view of sexual morality are more influenced by their view of truth whether or not they claim to be a practicing Christian. In other words, uh, is there absolute truth? This is the mountain that's facing us right now. The Knights of Columbus did a wonderful study of Catholic millennial, and they found out that 82% of Catholic millennials, that's 18 to 29-year-olds, agreed with the statement that morals are relative and there's no definite right or wrong for everybody. 82%. You can't teach morality or the truth about Christianity until this one gets nailed down. And what's even more shocking, the American millennial, 64% agreed with the statement morals are relative. There's no definite right and wrong. And yet 82% of Catholic millennials went the wrong direction. They're worse off than the general public. And this is exceedingly serious. And there's not going to be a turnaround until we can get that across. And basically, everybody becomes their own God, everybody determines their own right and wrong, then you have moral chaos. And so, you know, you have to teach your your children, and actually adults in today's world, that it's not up to you. It's not your opinion and not your thoughts. It's God's prerogative to determine right from wrong, not ours. In fact, this goes right back to the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, your eyes will be open. You'll know good and evil. Well, in a sense, they did, but they basically asserted themselves, Adam and Eve, into God's role. And so really what we want to do is hammer away that morals are not relative. They're not determined 
by our situation. We need scripture in a regular way to keep ourselves anchored to absolute truth rather than hearing all the voices uh, around us. C.S. Lewis has a remarkable brief book called The Abolition of Man, and basically he shows that it's a near-apocalyptic crisis when you lose moral absolutes. And we have lost it with Catholic millennials. Wow. We have lost it. And, you know, Lewis wasn't given to excess of uh, expressions and stuff, but he basically says once you adopt the moral confusion and denial of moral absolutes, we are in danger of losing our humanity, not just our morals, but our humanity. And you want a world in chaos, you just lose those moral absolutes. So, um, like if a priest was giving a homily, or a deacon was, or giving a class, or just talking to your own children, you don't need to sit down and give them a three-hour lecture on moral absolutes, but just saying, like, hey, you know, he gave me too much change. It's always wrong to steal. I'm going to give it back. That's a lesson in moral absolutes that will last a lifetime and begin to turn something like this around. Well, I love the idea, Steve, that you've brought to us of understanding the why behind all of this, because I remember at one point my father taught me, you use a wrench to loosen a bolt. You don't use a pliers. Now, will the pliers work? Yeah, at first, but you'll end up stripping the head of the bolt, and soon the bolt will be useless. You won't be able to get it out anymore. It won't be able to function. And in our moral lives, it's kind of the same thing. Well, why why do we have to follow these rules? Well, it's not because we're downers and we say, oh, we just don't want you to have any fun it's because we are made for a purpose as we've talked about and if we misuse ourselves and the gifts god has given us to live our life going back to that question why am i here well we're gonna become even more broken than we are and thank goodness we have a god who said they need a savior and they're not the Savior. I'm the Savior. I'm God. And that the second person of the Holy Trinity became incarnate to be that bridge between our broken humanity and the life that God intends for us in the new heaven and the new earth. So what a great conversation this has been. And I look forward to the next time we're able to get together, Steve. Thank you, Adam. It's been a joy to be with you and your listeners. Prayer in a Time of Waiting All-powerful and ever-living God, guard our churches, our homes, our schools, our hospitals, our factories, and all the places where we gather. Deliver us from harm and peril. Protect our land and the peoples from enemies within and without. Grant an early peace with victory founded upon justice. Instill in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere a firm purpose to live forever in peace and goodwill toward all. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. We've been talking with Steve Wood about worldview over the past few weeks, and we're happy to have Steve back with us today as we look at question six of our seven questions. Steve, I I have to tell you, this is a loaded question here. What's wrong with the world, and what's the solution? Well, the bottom line just with worldview, we're looking at the big questions. That's that's the point. And I'm reminded of a call I had from a father out in California. He was representing a whole group of very faithful, dedicated, pious Catholic parents who read every book that you should read about parenting, who went to all the conferences, 
homeschooled, tried everything, and almost all of them have lost their kids to the faith. And they're saying, what did we miss? And that question actually has been kind of a guiding uh, impulse for me to try to really dig deep. And I think worldview is one of those things that is very often missed. And we're talking about the question, what's wrong with the world and what's the solution? These are what I would call redemption questions. Uh, it's going to involve the plan of salvation. It's usually what you hear in catechism and whatever, and moral training. But unless you get the first questions like, where do I come from? Where am I going? What's my purpose here? These aren't going to stick the way they can in today's world. So bottom line, what's wrong with the world? It's very simple. You you turn to the early chapters of the Bible, Genesis 3, you find original sin. You think, well, what, what does original sin have to do with anything? Well, what that did, it broke our primary relationship with God himself. And God's the author of life and everything made on earth and in heaven. And with that separation, there was a profound change that occurred in human beings. We went to be, from being God-centered to being me-centered. And being me-centered me -centered is not very good for any relationship. <laughs> okay, what happened? Okay, you don't even have to turn the page in the Bible. After the relationship with God was severed, Adam goes to God making excuses for his sin. He says, well, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. In other words, he's bring, blaming his wife for his own act. And then you turn the page and we find polygamy, multiplication of wives, which isn't fair to any wife, okay? And then on the same next page, we find Cain killing Abel that within the family, the breakup, first brothers, one kills the other. So that's what's wrong with the world. Once that relationship with God breaks, it's like that whole string of dominoes. They start falling and... How do you put it together again? Now, this is going to sound utterly simple, but I don't want anybody to forget this. The, the course that I just mentioned is like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. That's Genesis 3. And all the king's soldiers and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Now, moderns are smart enough to know that all the king's men can't put us back together. No government program is going to do it. But walk into a big box store and what do you see this huge section yes there's a christian section amongst the religion section but this huge section called self-help now if all the king's soldiers couldn't put humpty dumpty back together again how in the world is humpty going to put humpty back together? it's impossible and yet that's what we do if we were capable of putting our lives back together again, then Jesus would never have had to come. God would just expect us to go about our self-help way, read a couple of self-help books, and we're well on our way. But we have to restore a union with God, and we find out the harder we try, the worse we get, because it's this me-centeredness. We've lost our relationship with God. So Jesus comes and restores our relationship with God. But it doesn't end there. For instance, in the Gospel of John, a very subtle book of the Bible, the first miracle that Jesus does uh, is at a wedding. In other words, the effect of his coming, 
the effect of his establishing or reestablishing our relationship with God, it's going to spill over into marriages. It's going to strengthen the marriage relationship. It's going to strengthen the family relationship. So bottom line, what's wrong with the world, we've severed our primary relationship in life, and there's infinite consequences. We can't get along next to the person we're working next to. We can't get along with our roommate in college. We can't get along with our spouse. And we're looking for little techniques, little self-help. But the bottom line is we've lost our relationship with God. And that's what Jesus came to repair. And that needs to be put into a context that he's the one that made us. So he could, he's the one that can remake us. See, everybody, we all thought that when I asked Steve that question that we would have eight hours worth of stuff. Well, you know, there's this wrong with the world and this wrong with the world. But, Steve, you took us all back to the the root, that we've separated ourselves from God. And when that relationship is broken, well, things fall apart. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, it can even extend it a little bit further because what's the big big deal today is the environmental movement. And it's well-intended. We should take good care of the home that God gave us. But you find that even man and woman were alienated from the earth. It says after Cain killed Abel, the earth is crying out. And God tells it you're going to have weeds instead of nice crops. And so the whole thing can't be put together until that primary relationship is restored. And, you know, when things go uh, haywire, and maybe somebody's listening to me right now, and things aren't going well in your relationships and life and stuff, well, why not? Even if you maybe were raised in the church, if you're a Catholic particularly, get to the sacrament confession because all that does is restore that relationship. And I'm not saying everything in life is going to just immediately fall into place, but that's how you begin to restore life as a Christian. I laugh because yesterday was one of those days where my wife had to pick up all five kids from school. She had to get them home and then go back to the school a half hour later because our son had yearbook and we forgot about that. So really, she only picked up four kids, went back to get the fifth, then had to turn around and feed them dinner so she could get out the door and get to soccer practice because I had a commitment and she was just frustrated beyond belief. No one was listening and someone said to her, well, you just have to remain calm. And she said, you should come into this mess and you try to remain calm. It it, it sounds like there's easy fixes in the self-help section, but I'm so glad you've reminded us today, Steve. There there is no amount of self-help that can do what salvation can do, and especially that call to the sacrament of reconciliation. So this has been a, uh, I I think of all our questions so far, this is my absolute favorite one. Well, they all fit together. It's part of a whole. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to continuing the conversation with Steve Wood very soon, and we'll be wrapping up with question number seven, but you're going to have to tune in to that to find out what question number seven is. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We'll be back after this. A prayer to St. Joseph. O blessed Joseph, faithful guardian of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, protector of thy chaste spouse, the Virgin Mother of God, I choose thee this day to be my special patron and advocate and I firmly resolve to honor thee all the days of my life. Therefore, I humbly beseech thee to receive me as thy client, to instruct me in every doubt, to comfort me in every affliction, to obtain for me and for all the knowledge and love of the heart of Jesus, and finally, to defend and protect me at the hour of my death. Amen. It has been 
just fantastic to speak with Steve Wood so many times over the past few weeks, asking these questions about worldview and youth. And I actually am reminding myself that even though I am hitting middle age, there are some of these things I need to be covering myself, not just so I can be a better parent, but to remind myself of the place in God's creation that I occupy, who he called me to be, what he intended me to be. And Steve, last time you were with us, we were asking the question, what's wrong with the world? And the answer was pretty simple. We were separated from God through original sin and the effects of that in life. And uh, once we realize there's no amount of self-help that can put us back together, it has to be a restored relationship, and that has to depend on God, it really changes what has become our, our seventh question in my mind, what's really happening in the world? I feel like I've gone to the eye doctor and they've done the whole one or two, three or four, and now I found, oh, I found the correct lens at which to look at all of this. Well, you know, it's it's a whole, and I emphasize again, you can't just pick one of or two of these last questions and hope to convey worldview to young people because these foundational questions like just where do I come from? Where's my origin? Or what's going to happen after I die? Or what's my purpose here? It's one of the leading questions of our culture, Christian and non-Christian. And so these things have to be dealt with but you also want to know what's going on in our world. And I must say, just try to be nice about this, I think a lot of Christians miss what is actually happening in our world. I'll try to make it as simple as possible. Most people's expectations, including the great Jewish expectation, that our world is flawed, due to original sin, it's going to go through a certain amount of history, and at the end of history, Christ returns, and then everything changes, okay? That is not what Jesus came to do. There is a great surprise in that the things that the Jewish hope and the Jewish prophets look for in the end of time invaded time, invaded history, B.C. and A.D., and much of what we were to look for at the end of time has already started. Now, the externals, you and I, Adam, we look pretty much the same, whether we're a Christian or non-Christian. But St. Paul, this is a key verse, it's 2 Corinthians 5.17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation, we thought, that's the end of history. That's when everything changes. But no, if you're in Christ, that's being faith and baptism, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is just earth-shaking. And, you know, one of the questions parents should get, really, because if you're a good parent, you're trying to steer your kids in today's world. Well, we don't do everything every everybody else does, Okay. Um, there, there's a little different guy. Well, why should we? Well, this is the reason. There's two paths now. There was one. We were all going the same way. But if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be living now because the miracle of uh, new birth and the Holy Spirit in our lives enabling us to live as we were in the future. And so a lot of young people, just to be quite, what I say, frank about this, find conceptions of eternal life extremely boring. 
Okay, uh, there's a cartoon that appeared in New Yorker. It showed two guys in kind of a translucent uh, choir robe, and one guy said to the other, "I wish I brought a magazine." You know, it's just boring. Okay, well, that new heaven and new earth at the end of time. Christ comes from heaven down to earth, and our catechism says heaven is where Christ is. Christ is on a renewed earth where there's no sorrow, suffering, death. There's beauty, there's animals, there's trees, there's rivers, there's fruit trees. It's a restored creation with the generations that have believed and trusted in Christ, enjoying eternal life together. So we are supposed to be living now, not just as Christians during the one hour we're in Mass, but our whole life is to have a whole different orientation. And for young people today, the effect of the media of all kinds and a social media and the heroes, so to speak, of young people have such a pull, incredible pull, and you know you can use certain things as a parent and guard your children from them when they're five six seven eight years old and such but let them get a hold of a driver's license or a smartphone or go to college they're going to be pulled by the strongest cultural force that i think people have ever encountered once uh, a child reaches the teen years or young adult years they're going to feel this pull and the difference isn't the external force, but the internal transformation by the renewal of your mind. And that's why if you want a renewed mind, uh, if any teenager or college student or parent has a smartphone, you can get the whole Bible and very easily listen for five or 10 or 15 minutes and each day have that transformation take place because we're supposed to be living like new people, and it begins with a transformation of our minds. Steve, I'd like to ask you a question right here because, I mean, I know that my family, we're kind of the odd ones out, that we have a phone that we give our son when he goes out with his friends. We've got it pretty well locked down. We're trying to teach him how to use the Internet responsibly and our kids, and we're doing our best to, to give them a firm foundation and shield them now, knowing that they're going to need the foundation later uh, but we're not always going to be able to shield them. So how do we teach them to to navigate this world? And is that why this question is so important that we can't, you know, turn a blind eye saying, "Well, I don't, I'm not interested in what's happening in the world. I'm interested in what's happening in the faith." But if we've got kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, uh, people we care about, we have to know what those forces are out there pulling them, so that we can make sure we're giving them the right foundation. What well, you do. And we know what's going on. We live in the world. We can't quite escape it. But the way to live as a Christian isn't external conformity, particularly as, again, you hit the teen years, young adult years. It's the inner transformation. And Psalm 119 asked the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to thy word. And the word isn't something external. It's something internal. And just like Jesus was faced with temptation, what did he do? Three times he said to Satan's attack, it is written, it is written, it is written. He had it internalized, and that transformation is what he did as a pattern for us to be transformed, to be like Christ. And really, we need something 
is out. I mean, it's only good while you have younger children. When they get older, um, they're going to have to have it inside. And that's why I mentioned in our last episode together, parents had called me. I'm like, what did we miss? Because they had the perfect external environment. But we need to prepare our children to have that internal change taking place when they go out by themselves into the adult world. Wonderful. Well, Steve, uh, thank you so much for taking the time over these past few weeks to go through these seven questions with us and really break it open that we have to know who we are. We have to know who we were created to be. We have to know who God is. We have to know what truth is so that we can address these questions that we find ourselves asking. What's wrong with the world? What's the solution? What is happening here? Uh, If you've enjoyed these conversations, I want to remind you, you can share them in our podcast, the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. And to make it easy for you, we're going to put together a bonus episode that is all of the segments we've done with Steve Wood on these questions of youth and how to form a proper worldview. We'll have that up in the next day or so here. So be sure to check that out wherever you get your podcast. Just search Roadmap to Heaven Covenant Network and you will find us there. Steve, I look forward to the next time we get to have you on the show here thank you adam and just add a little ps the key topic for apologetics for youth today isn't traditional catholic apologetics it's cultural apologetics cultural apologetics 101 we've already covered it's the worldview and once you have these questions answered then you can go answer all the tough questions that are going on in our culture and that our kids have well thank you steve for sharing that with us Uh, as a parent i am very grateful for that knowledge We are going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. 